Welcome back to another episode of the Grace Church Members Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rivers, and we have Bill White and Scott Mazingo in the room today. Our hope in this episode is to discuss an overview and recap of the John series. Guys, welcome to the table. Hey, Chris. Good to see you this morning. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, I'd love, Bill, you just jump right in, maybe just talk to us a little bit about the rationale for this series. Um, I think the rationale for this series, well, I don't think I know. The rationale for this series is that we want to do the best that we can to uh, make sure that we as a community have a true relationship with with the living Christ that gives life to us. And and John is um, is so clear in what his agenda is. So in John twenty thirty one, he said, "These things I have written." so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life by the power of his name. That you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life by the power of his name. And he says in that same paragraph, he says, I couldn't have included, if I tried to include everything Jesus did, the heavens wouldn't be big enough to write all the books. He said, but what I have written, this is why I've written it. So the whole point is, really to speak to religious people who um, think they know some things and to challenge them with the reality of who Jesus really is because your ideas don't give you life. Jesus gives you life. And and what he is going to show throughout the book is how people miss Jesus not because they don't have information, they miss Jesus because they do have biblical information and because Jesus confounds their understanding of biblical information. And so our concern is that we could have a lot of people who are like that who are in our church, who confuse knowing facts mm-hmm. with having life. Yeah. And John's gospel just gives you opportunity after opportunity. And some of the most beautiful images we have of who God is come to us from John's gospel. So that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Well, I love how explicit the mission of the book is in John chapter 20. And then when you understand that and you go back and you just see these little stories and these encounters, uh, John's doing the same thing each and every time, driving you to make a decision about who he is. When we think about jumping in uh, this week, we're going to start back in chapter 11. Um, So some people may just be joining us for the first time over the summer. So what we thought we would do during this episode is just do a little bit of a review, a recap, where we've been, so that when we start up and we hit the last half of the book, people understand the context, they understand the flow. So let's just take a few minutes. We'll just talk through some parts of the what we would just call part one of John, first 10 chapters. What were some of the highlights? What were some of the themes? And then we'll get into a little bit of what we can look forward to part two. So this is looking backwards. What would you like to share? What stood out to you about the first part of the book of John? One of the things that's super interesting to note is that we spent the entire spring working our way through the first 10 chapters, which pretty much covers Jesus' entire ministry. So we have this theological introduction where we get this window back into before the creation of the world. So you get this theological introduction, uh, you get this historical orientation through John the Baptist, 
that the last of the prophets is here, and he testifies to the reality of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit testifies to the reality of who Jesus is. And then you have the events of Jesus' life and ministry, basically three years of ministry leading up to John chapter 11. Which we real because of how John organized it, but we really don't know when John eleven takes place. But um, it's arranged as the week before the Passion, and I can tell you the reason why I think it's there. I don't know why it's there. It makes sense to me why it's there. But essentially, you get ten chapters on Jesus' entire ministry, minus everything he did that John thinks is important to tell us, which is three years of ministry, other than. Uh, the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. And then from chapter um, 12 all the way to chapter 21 is one week. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's one week. And so if you just look at the book, what you can see is John is making a case for who Jesus is and all that he did, that his signs testified to who he was. And then he is going to take zoom in on the Passion Week, and he is going to take us on a deep dive of that. So the first 10 chapters really are just laying the stage for what Jesus describes as him being exalted. Jesus, in classic John fashion, Jesus all along is laying these hints that one day he's going to be lifted up and the idea of being exalted, of being glorified. And in the last half, what we're going to see is that's a very counterintuitive fulfillment of what Jesus has been saying because his glorification is his crucifixion. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the tension that is being built through the first 10 chapters. And the way in which John goes about it is he has these things that he calls signs where Jesus is doing something and then he is explaining the significance of what he's done as revealing who he is. Mm. And so you have this interplay between Jesus does something that no one has ever done, and then Jesus gives you sometimes clear, but most of the time fairly cryptic explanations that are only going to really make sense for his disciples after his death and his resurrection. And in some senses, not until after Pentecost and with the Holy Spirit, do they go back and read the Old Testament mm-hmm. that they start figuring out, oh, wait a minute. Right. This is what Jesus was talking about. Y'all remember when Jesus said that? This is what he was talking about. They, they piece it all together. And so in the first 10 chapters, you realize, this is one of the beautiful things to me, they don't really understand who Jesus is on many levels. And the, the mark of discipleship is not understanding him. Mm-hmm. It is trusting him and obeying him. Yeah. You know? But it is interesting how Jesus is, he, he is kind in the sense that he uses very familiar mm-hmm. expressions of, of Jewish life. Mm-hmm. And then he, so he appeals to, appeals to them at a wedding and in the temple and mm-hmm. at the well and t- in a conversation with a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And so he's like trying to meet them on their terms, mm-hmm. but then he's he's refiguring what they should be thinking about. That's right. But he kind of meets them and then he like takes them on a little journey. And then he next time he takes them on a little, no little journey. And, and then it, it feels like though his I am statements, his signs, seems like they're increasing in intensity over the course of 10 chapters. Is, that, right. is that true? Yeah, I, I think definitively 
and, and he makes these statements, I am the light of the world. I am um, living water. You know, I've got living water. Come to me. I'm, I'm the real well. So the woman right. at the well is a great example of what you're talking about. And he doesn't perform a sign for her. Right. She doesn't see anything. Well, I mean, he sort of does because he goes prophetic on her yeah. and he deconstructs her life. Right. So that's, yeah. you know, but John doesn't call that a sign, but he engages her and, and she's on one level and he's operating on another level and he keeps calling her up to him right. and she keeps missing it. And, and so he's deconstructing her life and telling her things that she's like, how could you know these things about me? And, and so she's like, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So maybe you could answer my religious question. <laughs> right. You know, instead of talking about the complexity of my life and my sin and my brokenness. I've been, I've been looking for a guy yeah, like you that has a good like question. You. Clearly, you know some things. Yeah. That most people don't. Our fathers say that we should worship here on Mount Gerizim. Right. You know, and they had some legitimate Leg- historical and all claims. That, for sure. Right, yeah. Because that's where when the exodus took place and Israel first came in, right. you know, to the land, uh, the folks were there on Mount Ebal, Ebal and Gerizim, and they, that's where they renewed their covenant vows. Right. And so the Samaritans were like, nah, man, this is where it all started. Jerusalem, that's where the Jebusites were. And David, I mean, who cares about all that? Right. And so she asked, she's like, well, can you settle this? Should we worship in Jerusalem or here? And so, and Jesus is like, look, y'all are wrong. You need to be in Jerusalem because it's the Davidic line. He doesn't say all that, but that's what he's saying. And she says, well, I've heard that, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to clarify all these things. And then Jesus just drops it on her. He says, I who speak to you am he. And she receives him and then bears witness. And then there's this huge harvest, right? you know, and and so you have, and, and we don't have any, the beautiful thing about John's gospel and why I'm so thankful we have his personality and his literary gifting is the other writers, it's not to speak poorly of the other gospels, they're all inspired scripture and they're all great, but John brings us that kind of color mm-hmm. and that kind of intimate image right? and this kind of pathos that Jesus has mm-hmm. that you just don't quite see anywhere else. And so you see that in, in the first 10 chapters. And, and Jesus always makes that about, I am who I am. So the real tension that I see, and I think is really important for us as Western Christians who, who think of truth as being ideas. And there is a sense in which ideas are true or their faults, and ideas are very important. So I don't want anyone to hear me say that propositional truth is not important. But Jesus and the revelation of Jesus and being in a relationship with Jesus is more important than any other idea because any idea, no matter how good it is, is only partial. There is a greater fullness, Mm -hmm. and that fullness exists in God himself. And, And so Jesus is showing how wrong people were and that they were going to have to humble themselves and just receive him as he offers himself. And as y'all know is. that's a big phrase for me because I believe that's the most important thing for us is we have to stop trying to understand what God is doing and begin to obey him. Mm-hmm. And whatever clarity God wants us to have is going to come as we're in the process of receiving him as our Lord and acting on what he has told us. But even then, when we 
stand face to face before him, all of our formulations are going to melt in the light of who he really is. And, and that's a beautiful idea. And John, I feel like, makes that point more clearly than anybody. So it seems like that this idea of obedience is, is one of the things you want us to get out of this mm-hmm. study. Is there, what else would you suggest to us that you want us to get? Because we're jumping back into it. So what are your hopes for us and what else we would get out of this study? Well, the crescendo, as I understand it, of this revelation of Jesus through his deeds comes in John chapter 11. I mean, ultimately it's on the cross and the resurrection. But in John chapter 11, um, John positions the, um, the resurrection of Lazarus in Bethany as the final kind of I am statement in many ways. There are some other things that are there, but, but and Jesus says it to Martha. Martha comes to him, and, and Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Because Jesus knew he was sick and was going to die, and Jesus waited two days. Mm-hmm. And so Martha comes and she's like, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You, I, I, I'm confident you could have healed him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells her, your brother's going to rise again. And she's like, Lord, I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection. And, um, and Jesus says, no, don't you know I am the resurrection and the life? Mm-hmm. And this crazy idea that what Jesus is saying is that The resurrection is not a future event. That if I'm in your presence, resurrection life is here. Mm -hmm. And if you know me, you already have that. And so that idea that everything that we are looking for in this world Mm -hmm. is to be, our lives are so simple on the one hand. It's difficult, but super simple. The the solutions for our problems are not complicated solutions. They're difficult because it's difficult to get over yourself Mm -hmm. and to realize that all I have to do is be near Jesus, and Jesus has everything I want. So that's why obedience is so important, is I'm putting myself with him. I am just following him. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I follow him in generosity and service in a life of ministry to other people, of denying myself, those things are not important because they're the right things to do. Those things are important because those things put me with Jesus. And when I am with Jesus, I have access to everything that he has. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that's such an important idea. It's why John later on in his first letter, which is very destabilizing, for people like us who think that, well, I know I know Jesus because I prayed and asked him in my heart and then I was baptized mm-hmm. and I believe these certain ideas propositionally. In his first letter, you know, to, to Christians on the other side of the resurrection and Pentecost, he deconstructs all of that and creates all this tension. And he says, the, basically, he says, the only way you know that you know Jesus and love Jesus is if you love him. The only way you know you know him is if you love him. And the only way you know you love him is if you obey him. Mm-hmm. So if you're not obeying Jesus in this moment, you can't have any confidence that you really love him. If you don't love him, you don't know him, and you're outside of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then he names specific names of people who used to be a part of the church. 
And so I think that's where when I'm talking about obedience, it's not is it obedience or is it love? John wants to tie all those things together. And basically what he's saying is this thing about receiving Jesus as he offers himself. Mm-hmm. And so the, the literature, the stories, they are all serving that purpose. And then they're teeing us up for what that looks like on Passion Week. You know, so what is what does that what does that look like for Jesus to love us to the end? Mm-hmm. And He's going to give us a window into the Trinity that's different from anything else that we have in the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, in His high priestly prayer, mm-hmm. um, in His farewell discourse of high priestly prayer, John fourteen to John seventeen, is some of the most elegant, personal, um, intimate language where Jesus is praying for us. He's praying specifically for us. He's praying not just for those people, but for the people who would come after and who would believe their testimony, which is us, um, that he's thinking about us before he goes to the cross. I mean, it's just some of the most comforting mm-hmm. literature in all of Scripture. And, and, and the first 10 chapters are setting us up for why that's such a beautiful thing. And so if you, if you haven't really paid attention, I would encourage you to go back and listen. I went back and listened to a number of those sermons um, just in preparation for talking about it and thinking right. about how we got here. Um, and I went back and read the first 10 chapters to get oriented mm-hmm. because then that really makes the Passion Week narrative, it makes all of that make so much more sense. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I think the idea of obedience, obeying the things that Christ teaches, but doing it, through Christ, mm-hmm. in the power, mm-hmm. being in Christ, in the power of the Spirit. It's so complicated because in some ways the output can look the same. That's right. But the process is really what makes the difference of whether you know and whether you love. And right. sometimes we only see output. Mm-hmm. And we can be on the wrong side of judging that output or we could be on the correct side. But but really what we need to do is kind of worry about our own journey. That's exactly right. And where are we how how are we perceiving our life in Christ mm-hmm. and obeying Christ through him? Mm-hmm. And I um, mean that's a probably another even another podcast, but it, but it it is interesting as you set up why are we doing this book? We're trying to help people believe and have power by believing in his name. And then Jesus goes to the religious people who might be very similar to us today, mm-hmm. and he just meddles with all of their outputs, right? He does. Like he meddles with all of their um, their feasts and their festivals and their view of Sabbath and Passover and um, tabernacles, and then that's where he just breaks the paradigm apart. Yeah, because he says that all of those things, he's like, you value these things so much, right? and you're so worried about being right about these things. He said, but these things... Are all about me. Right. He's like, you're quoting Moses against me. Right. He's like, and everything Moses said is about me, mm-hmm. which just deconstructs for people who want to say, I mean, I don't know about Jesus being this or that. He's a good moral teacher. It's like either Jesus is right or he's a total narcissist. Right. Because he's saying that everything that has ever happened of significance was just a prefiguring of who I am and what I came to do. Your temple, me. Yeah. You know, a wedding feast, me. Right. You know. And and John 9 is is a great example of that. Yeah. I know that's you know one of your favorite passages. It but, is. You know, when when he heals the blind man and the Pharisees, their major argument is, you know, you can't do that on the Sabbath. We follow Moses, you don't follow Moses, yeah. therefore we're right. 
And he gets into this, he uses this idea of seeing and not seeing and blindness and light, which, you know, the theme of light is so strong all the way throughout the book. And, and, and he turns it, he basically does application in that passage. And he says, you know, hey, you have spiritual blindness. You know, there are things that you think you see, but right. you don't see. Yeah. And he just, he just totally messes with them. Mm-hmm. But he's messing with us. You know, when we read yes. that passage and we go, okay, where, where might I be spiritually blind? Where am I following along a, a, a religious process or I'm seeking some kind of output and I'm really not doing it through love, through the, through the power of, of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, I mean, the, the implications are, are many for us. I think that, speak a little bit to the timing. You mentioned the timing of Lazarus, because we, we kind of ended part one at this pretty climactic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will even see it, it depends on how much you want to give away of your, your upcoming sermon. But basically, you know, the disciples are saying, hey, if you go back into town... And if you go heal, if you go see Lazarus, if you go heal Lazarus, if you go see this family, this is going to be the end for you. Yeah, they're going to kill you because the tension has been rising. That's right. So much, and I think we don't really we don't really think about the the humanity of Jesus as he is thinking through his mission from the Father, and is like, okay, is this it? Is this my time? Yeah. So speak a little bit about how you see that play out. And it's such a beautiful. On a bunch of different levels. So it's going to be real difficult. I'm teaching all of John 11. It's, it's already just overwhelming to me to think about trying to teach the whole thing. But um, there's so many beautiful things that are in it and so many things that are confounding. So at the very beginning of the chapter, um, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And... Um, and the text, the way John said it, he says, so Jesus waited two more days. You, this is a man Jesus loves. You're getting ready to see how much he loves him right. as you get through it. Yeah. You know, it is one of the most human portrayals of Jesus that we have. And so the agony of all of that, and then he tells his disciples, all right, let's go. And they're all like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. These people are trying to kill yeah, you. We're they going right back it. into the lion's right. den. They felt the tension. Yeah, because Bethany's just outside of Jerusalem. You know, there are all these religious leaders who were there, who were living near the temple. I mean, there's no way that we can go in here. And they start trying to talk him out of it. And he says, Lazarus is asleep. we got to wake him up. And he, they're like, no, man, don't. If, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. It's fine. We're good. Let's stay out here. I mean, people were coming to him, and people were believing in him. While he was out there, oh, we're doing good work out here. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. I mean, just that one statement. And so, and then Thomas is where we really get introduced to Thomas, who is a fantastic character here. Um, In John's gospel, Thomas moves to the front at the end, and Peter kind of recedes for for parts of it. And, um, And Thomas says... Let's go with him so that we can also die with him. And you just kind of get, I mean, Thomas has kind of got this pessimistic, skeptic side to him. John invites you to read him that way. But he also has this intense kind of loyalty, you know? So it's just kind of, he's a little bit of a hyper-realist, dark soul, which is part of why I like him probably. But Thomas is like, let's go with him so we can also die with him. And the irony of all of that is that... um, 
what Jesus is getting ready to reveal is that death no longer has any hold. So they have to be willing to risk dying with him. And, and Thomas is like, no, we're all getting ready to die, but let's go. I mean, so he's doing what we got to do. And I think that's such a beautiful image about what we're talking about all along mm-hmm. is that you don't understand what he's doing, but if you go with him, then they, were, they got to be there, presumably, when he told Martha, no, Martha, I'm not talking about a future event. I'm here. I am the resurrection and the life. And then they get to see Jesus when Jesus prays later in chapter 11, he says, you know, you always hear me, Father. And, um, and I'm saying this just so these people who are around can hear me, so that they know that we're talking and that's what this is about. Mm. And then he yells to Lazarus, who I believe has already been raised, and tells him to come out. Which is, and they got to see all of that because they believed him, even though they didn't understand him. They obeyed him and went with him, even though they didn't understand what was getting ready to do. They're just with him. Mm-hmm. And so they got to see the glory of God. And that's going to launch us in um, to all kinds of drama of the week of Passover and what we call his passion, his crucifixion. And really them abandoning him, even after they saw all of this, right. they still haven't gotten it. So in a real way, this is his last, this is the end of his ministry. It sense. is. This is his last miracle, and it's, it's designed so that they can understand what's about to happen with him. That's right. On the cross, that death has no power. But I love the way that you're, you're putting this there with him, following him, not really knowing that Lazarus is going to walk out of that tomb. That's right. Not really understanding how possible that is. Yeah. And the idea of, of obeying out of love, regardless of guarantee of outcome. I mean, I think that's really, that's really poignant. And, and it's just so interesting, again, thinking about the entire passage, I mean, the entire book of John. For me, like the most haunting verse from chapter 1, uh, verse 10, you know, he came into the world, and he's this light into the world, but yet the light, the world did not recognize him. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the darkness could not overcome the light, but yet the light is so bright. And there's some people that still, they just don't get they it. They can't see it and they don't get it. And then, and then he takes it up one more notch, which is where John just, man, he, he, he goes for the juggler. Yeah. Because he talks about the world, which is one of the real interesting things that John talks about. Um, he, he uses that phrase over and over again, and, and you have to really work to understand he's got layers of meaning stacked in it, and he's wanting you to interact with that and think about all of it. But then he goes from the world, didn't understand him, didn't recognize him, and then it, and then it says he came to his own. He uses a parallelism, and he says he came to the world, the world didn't recognize him, and he came to his own, and his own received him not. Mm-hmm. He was rejected. So his special people, his peculiar possession, and, and John's going to use the phrase, is, is unique to John, of how he speaks about the religious establishment as the Jews. And John was a Jew, right. but he uses this kind of summary term, calling it the Jews. He doesn't often, he'll talk about Pharisees, he'll talk about some of that, but, but he uses this term, the Jews, and that's peculiar to John. And, and he's setting you up to see that the people that God had revealed himself to who had the most reason to receive him, they actually not just didn't recognize him, 
they, they, they plotted, rejected it. Yeah, and they plotted to they, kill him. They killed him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's setting you up. And it is, you're right, it is so poignant, which is why John's gospel is so good to go back and read over and over again. I mean, all mm-hmm. of Scripture, we need to be reading it all the time. But the more you read John, it's just it's layers. Leon Morris devoted a lot of his life. He wrote one of the most important commentaries on John, certainly in the 20th century, but it's one of the ones that people I think will still be reading 100 years from now probably. And, um, and he says at the beginning, I want to get it just right, he says, I like the comparison of John's gospel to a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant can swim. It is both simple and profound. It is for the veriest beginner in the faith and for the mature Christian. Its appeal is immediate and never failing. It is a simple gospel. The humblest believer can read it and understand it and profit by it. And then he goes on. I mean, and I just think that's a... John had a peculiar literary gift, and so it's a worthy Thing to think about. The more you study it, the more confounding it is, but also you find new comforts every time you read it. So I'm, I'm really excited that we're getting the opportunity to do it. And I think I just want to en- encourage you to um, not run from the tension that the text puts you in, mm-hmm. because John is doing it importantly. If John wanted to make something clear for you, he can make it clear. But there are a lot of places where he's intentionally um, putting you in a position of uncertainty. And, and I think in most of those places where he's doing that, it's because he's wanting you to see that God is more than your ability to understand. and He's wanting to put you in a position to just humbly obey and then receive Jesus on his terms. Mm-hmm. And 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 that because that's what eternity is going to be in the new heavens and new earth. None of us are going to get there and be like, "Oh, this confirms all my orthodox formulations of the Trinity." Right? You know what I'm saying? Who cares? Nobody. Nobody's going to care about any of that. Mm. And I'm not saying that those ideas aren't important, but we just have to. John is intentionally. He knows the danger of a commitment to be right, and so he wants to make sure that. What we really do is love and obey Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I think that's, that's the, for me, for my money, that's the core of the message for us. And, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John all fall, really leading up towards Christmas. Yeah, we have more organized minds than mine who are in charge of that. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of do what I'm told when it comes to this stuff. I know what my assignments are, but yeah, I think so. Well, and the reason I bring that up is I, I don't, I don't want us to rush through it in the sense that, you know, you jump in um, this fall with us, you have time to mm-hmm. go back through the first 10 chapters mm-hmm. to understand the, the tension that's been building, to understand how Jesus is using every one of these encounters. And John is telling these stories specifically so that at the end of each of them, you are forced to make a decision along with the people in the text that's right. of who Jesus is. Right. Like you just cannot... That's Get right. away from it. Yeah, that's right. John chapter 6, you're either the people, you're either the crowd who saw some interesting stuff happen, and you came along, and you're like, oh, man, i tell you what. If this guy got on board with my agenda, gave me the family I wanted, the job I wanted, and everything, my life would be a lot better. i right. gotta, I got to do that. Or you're the disciples who, even though you don't know even where he is and, and fully what he's doing, you're just in awe of who he is, and you got to stick with him, right. you know? 
And you have to find yourself in each of those settings. You got to, the point that John wants to make is he wants to make sure, if, if you look at John 20, 31, which we referenced at the beginning, the way he uses the verb tenses there, you can get in trouble by trying to do too much with this. But John, John does this kind of stuff. It's, it's the way he likes to play. And he says, um, there, there's an argument to be made that, um, th- that he says, these things I have written so that you may keep on believing. And by keeping on believing, you may have life by the power of his name. And that is consistent with the way John writes even in his epistles. John is very concerned not with something you did two years ago. John is very concerned with what you are doing right now. Mm. And so this kind of continuous journey that you are on, and I think that's the place for us, you know, is let's go on that journey and let's not think about, yes, I came into a relationship with God at this point. Let's think about, I am in a relationship with Jesus right now. And what does the choices that I am making, what do the choices I'm making right now reveal about where I fit in this story? Mm. Am I with the crowd trying to get Jesus on board with my agenda and so missing him and wandering away? Or am I with his disciples who are doing risky things that it doesn't look like are necessarily going to work out well? But what else am I going to do? Because he's got the words of life, yeah. you know, and we all have to do that. And nobody can do it for you. You don't need to be looking around. You made this point earlier. You don't need to be looking around at other people right. and wondering what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You did, Not what your wife is doing, not even what your kids are doing. You know, it's, it's impossible for you to read what's going on inside somebody else. It doesn't mean you're not concerned for folks and you don't speak about it. But the main thing that he is saying is you just have to follow me. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very interesting. You'll see at the very end, one of the last things that we have in John's gospel is you have Peter and John. With Jesus, Jesus is restoring Peter after he's denied him three times. And Peter are talking, and Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die for me. That's, that's, that's a tough nut, you know. And, um, and, and for a man who just denied him, it's also comforting because he's like, no, man, you were afraid to die for me now, but you are going to get that honor. You're going to yeah, die for me. You're going to get a second chance. And Peter, classic Peter, he looks over and he says, hey, well, what about him? <laughs> that guy. Yeah, what about yeah. that guy? What yeah. about John? Yeah. You know? And Jesus says, hey, man, that's none of your business. He said, if I want him to be alive until I return, then uh, you don't need to worry about that. You do you. Right. Which is so classic. Right. And, and John puts this little parentheses in there. He's like, now, some people, because of that, a rumor circulated that Jesus said this guy was going to be alive until Jesus returned. And John, we believe, was the last of the original 12 disciples to be alive. He died in exile on Patmos, we believe, in his 90s probably. Right. And so John, as he's writing this, he's like, Jesus never said that I was going to live until he returned. But all of the occasion for all of that is Peter's like, well, what about him? And he's like, man, dog, that ain't none of your business. Right. I just need you to do you. You follow me. I got a path for you. You walk your path. And it and it just brings us back to that idea. It really is, does. I, I, I just like I that. have to follow. I didn't think about it until you said yeah. that earlier. Yeah. I was like, that is one of the last yeah. things. Is that where we have all these challenges? We can't turn around and take all this. This is about my personal relationship, not individual relationship with Jesus, but my personal relationship with Jesus. And I need to be careful about being involved in other people's business. Yeah. Ultimately, because you read that and you're like, why would John include that? It's like because that's exactly what we would have been thinking. That's the same exactly time. right. Like, what about Bill? What about Chris? What's right. in it for you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so I would just encourage you as you find your place in the story, 
and we, we, we move through some things that may seem very familiar, you know, Jesus' arrest, Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection, that you would not um, treat them as familiar, that you would, you would dwell in the text and you would really let some of these extremely intimate passages, you know, you've got Jesus talking to the Father. I mean, it doesn't get more intimate than that. Your understanding of the Holy Spirit. Just, just dwell in this last half of the book and really um, let it take, continue to take you on this journey and uh, just don't rush it. And so yeah. um, I'm looking forward to it. I think this has been a great opportunity for us to all get caught up mentally and uh, get ready for the fall. I have one just as an aside, as a, just as I'm just one of the members of the teaching team. And uh, so um, this is not just for me personally, but I would just ask all of you um, as, as, we, as we study, I'd ask you to pray for us because um, we, we need, it's gotten clear to me, we, we, we need to hear the voice of God. And I need to hear the voice of God. Um, and the Spirit of God inspired the Scriptures, and the Spirit of God attends the study, the reading, and the preaching of the Scriptures. And, and we as a church need fresh infusions of God's grace, and those come to us in a variety of ways. But one of the primary means of grace that God has given us is this, this teaching ministry, this corporate teaching ministry. And so I, I would just ask if, if y'all would pray, mm-hmm. you know, and if the members of our church would pray, um, not just for, not for us to perform well, but for God to work in our hearts to give us insight, stuff that we wouldn't have thought about, you know, but that God would just be at work in us so that our application of this would be a timely word mm-hmm. for this moment and for us all to be aware we need to hear from the Lord. And he wants to speak to us, um, but he wants us to seek him. And we can't just take that for granted. And mm-hmm. we're not, I'm not here to be a performer when I teach. Um, none of our teachers are here to perform. We're working hard to, to get ourselves out of the way and not be self-indulgent in our communication and just talk about things we're interested in, but to really pray for and think about how do I love God's people as we share this. But we have limited perspective and wisdom, and we need the Spirit of God to be guiding us and so um, I would just ask as we enter into this, it's a unique opportunity for us in this season. Um, and I don't use that word lightly, unique, mm-hmm. but I believe it is. And, and so I would ask that, that you would, as, as the old people would talk about, beseech the Lord mm-hmm. um, on, on behalf of both teacher and hearer that, that God would do a work because we need God to move and speak powerfully in our midst. Otherwise, we're just a... A social organization that has some good ideas, mm-hmm. but but we that the living Christ, the eternal Word, would be present with His people, both to redeem, to transform, and to make us agents of change in the world. Mm-hmm. We, we need to not take that for granted, and we need Him to personally do that. So. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that together just as we wrap this up? Um, you know, we want to thank you for joining us. We want, if you're new uh, to our church, we want to ask you to, you know, subscribe. We'd love for you to join us in this, uh, in these conversations. Um, there are additional resources on our podcast page, so you can check those out. So thanks for joining us. Why don't we end today, Scott? Why don't you pray uh, for our series, pray for our teaching team, and just close us out? Sure. Be honored to. Father, we are very grateful that you have been so kind to us. Uh, Thank you for, most importantly, the person, the work of Jesus on our behalf. 
Thank you that we are, um, we can find ourselves in Christ, forgiven of our sins, uh, with a new power, a new purpose uh, by the work of the Spirit, and a new destination, uh, which is eternal life with you, new heavens, new earth. And Father, um, we pray for that to become more and more clear uh, every time we go to the scriptures, that we would be self-forgetful and that um, the narrative of the story of the work that you have done on our behalf um, would just grow, that we would see you more clearly, that we would um, be more overwhelmed uh, by your character, by your nature, by your goodness, uh, by the person of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. And God, we pray that our teachers would um, just continue to humbly but confidently lead us in that journey. God, we live in a world where there are a lot of distractions and there are a lot of opinions and there are a lot of judgments on what's best for me and we can't seem to get out of our own way. And so we pray that when we come to the scriptures, um, we would think of ourselves less and think of you more. And by doing that, um, we would see how much you really love us, the plan that you have for us through Christ and the path that you've provided Lord, you have given us everything we need for living a godly life, and we pray we would not be blind and forgetful to that, and that the good news would resonate uh, each and every time we come to the scriptures, and particularly when we gather corporately on on the weekends, we pray you would do something special in our midst, that we may um, be encouraged in our faith and emboldened to live um, out our gospel purpose for you. We pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.